This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the legislative session has come to an end. But lawmakers are already talking about having to return to the Capitol later this year to respond to the impact of coronavirus. In a rare display of bipartisanship, the Florida House and Senate vote unanimously to approve their new budget, all $93 billion worth. It happened on a day when lawmakers had to pass a health screen to enter the House chamber, and several lawmakers watched from home because they didn't want to risk being infected. The legislative meeting itself was a violation of the social distancing and crowd size limits recommended by the CDC. The governor, the Senate president, and the House speaker all take a victory lap at the end of the session, but they all know the legislature could be forced to return later this year. Seniors face the greatest threat from the virus, so nursing homes and long-term care facilities are off-limits to visitors, and they have been for the past week. But the head of the Agency for Healthcare Administration says residents at more than 19 of those facilities have already tested positive or are presumed positive. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the latest on Florida Man, who suddenly has the power to infect Congress. By the way, now that we have all these people working from home, you know there's going to be a baby boom in about nine months. Call them the COVID kids. And 13 years after that, they'll become, you guessed it, the quarantines. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, March 20th. The 2020 legislative session is history. Florida lawmakers have approved a new budget and adjourned, at least for now. House Appropriations Committee Chairman Travis Cummings says this is the year they finally gave a pay raise to teachers, prison guards, child protective investigators, and rank-and-file state employees. The proposed budget totals $93.2 billion. Uh, There's an increase of 2.4% in total spending over the current fiscal year appropriation and an increase of 3.7% in general revenue funds. It includes $3.9 billion in reserves, a little over $60 million for the coronavirus response, $1.7 billion for hurricane response, and $335 million for employee benefit issues, including a 3% across-the-board raise for all state employees and a 5 or 10% increase for child protective investigators. Furthermore, there's a supplemental increase based on years of service for our, our very beloved correctional officers throughout our state. Finally, it fully funds the state employee insurance premium increase as well as any increased retirement costs for our state employees. Senate Appropriations Chairman Rob Bradley says the budget includes millions to fight the spread of coronavirus and billions in state reserves to deal with any economic downturn. This is an unprecedented time in our state's history, but here's what I know. I know that we will overcome the challenges before us. And I know that we, as a Senate and a House and a governor, we are prepared for this moment. I know this. I know this because this is a budget that did not ignore reality but it also did not overreact either. It contains robust reserves so that our government can continue to operate at full capacity if revenues decline as a result of the virus. And it gives our state the tools and resources it needs to fight the virus. This is a realistic budget, a responsible budget, and one that prioritizes the people of the state of Florida. Our caretakers in our nursing homes, our correctional officers, our teachers, we heard them, we heard their voices, and their voices are reflected in this budget. 
The budget was unanimously approved in both chambers, a rare display of unity in a place where partisan politics can get nasty at times. House Democratic leader Keone McGee even thanked the Republican Speaker of the House for the way he responded to their concerns. I am here on March 19, 2020 at 1.13 p.m. when we are facing one of the worst health crises in the history of mankind to say that this particular budget makes room for each and every last one of the issues we've been fighting for from day one. But it also takes a step further and puts down a down payment to deal with the coronavirus, something that you and I and each one of us in this room know that we're going to see day in and day out for at least the foreseeable future. And so I say on behalf of the 47 members of my caucus that thank you very much for listening to us and thank you very much for being at the forefront. But more than anything, thank you for being a friend. Democrats were praising Republicans, Republicans were thanking Democrats, and it all seemed very genuine. This is the legislative version of Bizarro World, all because a microscopic virus unified lawmakers by giving them a common enemy. Under normal circumstances, the legislature would be done for the year, but there's a good chance they'll have to return to deal with the economic fallout of the coronavirus. Senator Tom Lee says the worst is yet to come. I was here during 9-11 uh, when, when we had to rush back in in very short order. And, and, and deal with our budget. Um, I forget exactly how much we had to cut, but um, this feels worse. This feels worse. The most recent sales tax forecast relies heavily on strong tourism growth. It assumes that no events that have significant repercussions affecting tourism occur during the forecast window. Well, that's gone. That's out the window. And so, while you know, this is uh, where we are at this moment in history, uh, I would just encourage our leadership as we get information from the boots on the ground, let's just say, and our folks at EDR, that if it's necessary, that we waste no time getting back here and, and, and ad addressing whatever the issues in our reality are, uh, our state will be far better off in the long term. When the budget was done and the session adjourned, Senate President Bill Galvano and House Speaker Jose Oliva held a brief media availability to say goodbye and thank one another. It was a bit surreal because any other year the rotunda between the House and the Senate would have been jammed with lawmakers, staffers, lobbyists, and reporters. But in the age of coronavirus, self-isolation, and social distancing, the place was almost empty as Galvano began speaking. It's a unique, one of the most unique signing dies that I've attended since being in the uh, legislative process, but it's uh, a sign of the times. But what is also unique is the working relationship that the Florida Senate has had with the Florida House and with the governor on the plaza level. And the amount of uh, good policy and, and good budget uh, that we have been able to, to put together by working together and working for the people of, of Florida. Uh, things that, that will make a difference in the lives of Floridians for decades to come, if not longer. And Speaker, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure to work with you, to uh, uh, be about our business together. The level of, of trust and partnership that we have had, though many Floridians may never realize it, has inured to their benefit, and it's, it's a real pleasure, sir. Thank you. I just uh, I want to echo those comments. Uh, the, the truth is that a lot of the attention now is obviously on what it ought to be, and that is keeping Floridians safe. But throughout uh, these two years, we have worked fantastically together in what has been efficient uh, and effective government. And that would not have been possible without uh, the leadership 
of President Galvano and the Senate and, of course, our governor. So I'm very thankful to you, President. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. We don't know uh, what the future will bring. It's certainly, at the very least, uncertain, and it is unknowable. But what I do know that regardless of what happens over the coming months and regardless of what actions we have to take, uh, there's no one that I'd rather have to go into that than with President Galvano and the governor. So thank you. The question now is whether lawmakers will have to return later this year in a special session to deal with the economic consequences of the virus. Speaker Oliva would rather not. President Galvano says you never know. We're certainly hoping that that's not the case. We, you know, we believe that uh, federal government's working very hard on a vaccine, and we believe that a vaccine could uh, have a very immediate turn of events. And so that's what we would hope for. But we have to understand that the level of shutdown that has been required in order to ensure that uh, this virus is contained is having an economic effect that is real. And, and what I, I would add to that is the plan is to let things develop, to be vigilant, to understand what's going on, and then to make decisions in, in accordance with that. But, you know, where we are today and what we've done today is the appropriate place to be, and we'll see what the future holds. The 2020 session was a solid win for Governor Ron DeSantis, who got just about everything he wanted. DeSantis even gave lawmakers credit for passing a better teacher pay plan than the one he had originally proposed. Coming into the session, uh, I had really laid out, you know, five um, you know, main areas that I was looking to make progress in. I wanted to continue, number one, the progress we made on funding uh, for our water quality and Everglades projects, which is very something Florida really needed to do. Um, you know, we were able to do that um, and secure um, over $600 million uh, for, for those projects, which I commend the legislature for doing. Uh, number two, I wanted to say, okay, you're doing uh, good with funding, but we also want good policy with respect to water quality. So we took the recommendations from my Blue-Green Algae Task Force, uh, created a proposed bill for water quality reform. Um, and this is a major, major piece of legislation that passed, so we're very happy about that. Uh, I wanted to make Florida one of the stop, uh, top states for uh, teacher compensation in terms of the average minimum salaries. And uh, we went from the bottom 25 states to, I think we're going to be in the top five, um, you know, when all is said and done with this. And so that's going to be a huge difference. And I want to commend, uh, uh, commend the legislature. The way they did the um, salaries, I think, are probably going to be more equitable because it, it, it focuses on certain uh, uh, areas that have a higher cost of living. You know, their minimum may be 48, 49,000. Some of the more rurals may be lower. Uh, everyone will do better, um, and I think it probably uh, uh, threaded the needle better than my initial proposal did. So thank you for that. Um, we also wanted to do employment verification. Um, so it's the first time anything in that, that line has come in this legislature here. Um, and so I think it's a great first step. Um, we look forward to working uh, on that uh, as we go forward. And then we wanted to reform Florida's onerous occupational licensing requirements to give people more opportunity, uh, and they did that. And so we consider this a, a very, very successful session. Now, at the same time, uh, we now are in a different world than we were just a few weeks ago, and um, we're going to be looking to see uh, how Florida is able to respond uh, to, uh, to the COVID-19. Obviously, health and safety are paramount. Uh, but we already see that this is going to cause economic dislocations. And uh, we want to uh, 
uh, be mindful of our fellow citizens. We're supporting um, things to do here at the state level. I know both of the, the leaders here are supportive uh, of doing that, uh, particularly for folks who are losing their jobs. The federal government, I know they're going to pass uh, some relief, which is very, very important. Uh, but, but this is going to, uh, you know, we entered this session with unemployment going down, down, down to 2.8%. Um, and now we're going to be exiting this on the back end of this COVID um, looking at a different, uh, different economic picture. I think it's one we can recover from, uh, don't get me wrong, but that is going to be, um, going to be an issue that, that we'll have to address uh, in future sessions. So I just want to thank personally uh, the Senate President um, and the House Speaker. Uh, I think that they have um, worked really well with each other. They've worked very well with me. Uh, they uh, were able to manage their chambers, I think, very effectively. And I think if you look at the two years they've had, um, I would put their productivity up against just about anybody, you know, in modern Florida history. So I want to thank him for doing that. The governor did more than thank President Galvano and Speaker Oliva. He gave them what the game shows call a lovely parting gift. You know, I gave them some ceremonial gifts. Uh, so Bill, uh, I was able, you know, Bill, Bill's dad, uh, late father, is a, you know, kind of a legendary teaching pro. He's taught Bill a lot. And his, um, his uh, teachings are timeless. But Bill has clubs kind of from his dad's era, and I've told him you need to update these things. Um, so what I did was I was able to get a, a putter made for him, a Senate president putter, and hopefully that can be the start of a new, uh, uh, of a new collection for you. And then we got uh, my friend Jose. We got a, um, a nice uh, wooden baseball bat ha uh, with a description for House Speaker Jose Oliva, and I think it was the, quote, slayer of the healthcare industrial complex. At that point, Speaker Oliva forgot about social distancing and reached out to shake the governor's hand. DeSantis left him hanging. I'm not going to shake your hand, but, uh, but I want to thank them both for not only serving Floridians well, uh, but for being friends and, um, and great colleagues to work with. Uh, we've um, you know, we got a lot to live up to, I think, in future legislative sessions. Thank you as well, Governor. I, I think that possibly only Jeb Bush uh, can be compared to this governor and his effectiveness in just two years. His engagement in all forms of policy, his commitment to his principles and what he believes in uh, has really been refreshing to be able to work with. It's unfortunate that my last memory of him will be him leaving me hanging just a second ago. But besides <laughs> that, we're good. Thank you, Governor. Great. The governor had to bail so he could fly to Broward County to announce the National Guard is setting up a mobile testing facility for coronavirus, and he says there has been some progress finding additional testing supplies. We do have some good news. We have we've received um, little dribs and drabs from some of our swab uh, uh, order. So we have, uh, I think, four or 5,000 that have come in, and basically every swab we have uh, can either be run through the local lab one of the state labs or package and sent to the commercial laboratories. I think in the last week, the commercial laboratories have gotten crushed, so some of those are taking longer than they had wanted. You hear the vice president, some of them talking about the new way to test where you can do mass volumes. That's supposed to start on Friday. If that does, then we, you know, we'll use our labs here, but we could swab, swab, swab send hopefully really large amounts to the private labs and then get results relatively uh, quickly. Uh, so we're looking forward. We also have been working with Health and Human Services. Uh, we, uh, we are told that there's a shipment of swabs uh, in route to Florida. Um, don't necessarily have, they don't necessarily have the best tracking system that they use. So 
it'll show up hopefully on somebody's doorstep, either the EOC or somewhere um, in one of the hospitals, uh, but that should be uh, several thousand more. Um, and of course, we're, um, we're working on getting as many as we can. We've distributed 2,500 testing kits and the positive negative controls that go with that. So that would be enough for 625,000 tests. Um, obviously, you need the swabs to be able to get the sample. And if we're going to test it here, a lot of the hospitals are running a little low um, on reagent. Um, but we're in a much better place than we were a week ago. And hopefully, the swabs we have in order are outstanding, 500,000. We've gotten a few thousand of that. I think what's happening is, as people saw that there was going to be a crunch on this, there's been venture capitalists who go out and buy stuff, and they can you know, do cash immediately. And then I think they're trying to resell it um, at a profit. So there's a lot of things going on here uh, with the supply, and we're trying to, to fight through it as best we can. We are making progress, um, uh, but I would like to, uh, like to make a lot more, um, hopefully in the next week or so. They're not listed in the official stats for coronavirus, but the bug is turning out to be a real job killer. The American Hotel and Lodging Association has new data showing Florida hotels and businesses that support the industry have cut almost 400,000 jobs. The layoffs are the result of decisions by government officials and industry executives to close or limit access to hotels, theme parks, beaches, bars, and restaurants. Residents of more than 19 Florida elder care facilities have tested positive or are suspected of testing positive for coronavirus. That word from Secretary Mary Mayhew at the Agency for Healthcare Administration. There are over now 19 facilities where there has been either a suspected case of COVID-19 or a handful to date of confirmed COVID-19 cases. We are going on site with these joint teams to support those facilities whenever there is a concern about a potential risk for COVID-19. We are deploying a joint team between my agency and the county health department. They are on site to support the facility to make sure that the individual that a specimen is collected to uh, test for uh, COVID-19, that they are isolating that individual to care for them appropriately, isolate them from other residents to protect other residents and staff. If hospital transfer is required, that is being supported as well. We have sent out increased reinforcement around testing. We want to make sure that any elderly individual that is presenting at the hospital, is in the hospital, that fits the criteria that they are being tested. We do not want someone in a hospital to be discharged back to a long-term care facility to later be tested positive for COVID. So we are certainly encouraging and strengthening the guidance on testing. We are working with our assisted living facilities and our nursing facilities to make sure that they are all, that all their staff are wearing surgical facial masks to prevent the spread. We are supporting those facilities to be clear about how to submit any orders for supplies. The state has already banned visitation at long-term care facilities, hoping to avoid what happened in Seattle when an outbreak of coronavirus killed 25 people in a nursing home. The virus can be deadly to seniors and people with existing medical conditions, but Florida is not testing residents of long-term care facilities as a precautionary measure. They're only testing people who have symptoms, and if the results are positive, they're isolated from the other residents. 
Mayhew's agency has issued a new advisory to long-term care facilities, saying anyone who enters the building must wear masks, and staffers are now required to use gloves when they provide care. But the homes are running low on gloves, masks, and other protective gear. Florida is what's known as a closed primary state, which means Republicans vote for one slate of candidates, Democrats vote their own list, and independents, well, they don't get to vote at all. But you can change that in November. The Florida Supreme Court has given the go-ahead to what's known as the all-voters-vote amendment to the state constitution. If it's approved by 60% of the electorate, all registered voters would be able to cast ballots in primary elections regardless of party affiliation, and the two candidates getting the most votes in the primary would face off in the general election. Lawyers for the state attorney general, the Florida GOP, and the Florida Democratic Party all opposed the measure, and they asked the high court to keep it off the ballot. But the justices voted 4-1 to one to sign off on the amendment. That doesn't mean they're endorsing it. They're just saying it meets all the technical requirements to appear on the ballot. It'll be listed as Amendment Number 3. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. Your calendar of events begins with the Medicaid Pharmaceutical and Therapeutics Committee. They're scheduled to hold conference calls at 8.30 and 10.45. This is the group that makes recommendations on a preferred drug list for Medicaid recipients. The Palm Beach Area Refugee Task Force meets at 10 in the West Palm Beach City Hall. And the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Advisory Council on Climate and Energy will hold a conference call at 11. Finally, it's time once again for the adventures of Florida Man, who is self-isolating to protect his fellow politicians. A Florida man has the dubious distinction of becoming the first member of Congress to test positive for coronavirus. U.S. Representative Mario Diaz-Balart says he began feeling symptoms on Saturday night, including a fever and a headache. The South Florida native was on the House floor Saturday as lawmakers passed the Coronavirus Families First Response Act, and Diaz-Balart says he came into contact with hundreds of people on Capitol Hill before he quarantined himself. Fourteen other lawmakers, including Florida Senator Rick Scott, have been self-isolating as a precaution. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. This is Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 